0: Ciao ragazzi! Happy Tuesday, and welcome back to another episode of Pathfinder. Today's guest is Giuseppe Santangelo, and he is Italian, as you can tell him, as you can tell by the name. So it was a good opportunity for me to use a little bit of my my very rusty Italian. But Giuseppe has worked on a range of pretty exciting space programs, and actually started and sold a drone company um to to another drone company called red cat holdings and this this drone technology which we'll get into has a lot of applications um in gps denied areas of earth and and then as you might imagine all these areas offered where there aren't uh gps broadcasts so we talked about Mars Helicopters, I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. But before we get into Mars Helicopters, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor. Our reliance on satellites for navigation, communications, commerce, and intelligence has grown exponentially in the new space economy. Unfortunately, the risks have grown as well, and the need to prioritize cybersecurity around space assets is critical. SpiderOak mission systems provide space cybersecurity products for military, commercial, and civilian operators. Your Orbit Secure Solution is the first to deliver zero trust security to zero gravity environments protecting space communication, command, control, data transmission, storage and integrity at the data level. To learn more about Orbit Secure, check out their website at spideroak-ms.com. Again, that is spideroak-ms.com. And without further ado, let's dive in to today's Pathfinder with Giuseppe Santangelo. Ciao Giuseppe, benvenuto
1: a Pathfinder. Ciao, ciao, uh, molto lieto di essere qui con voi. <ride> Come stai? <ride> Io sto benissimo. Benissimo,
0: benissimo. I want to challenge you <laughs> to match your Italian, but uh, parlo un po'. Uh, ho, ho vissuto in Italia tra un, un anno a, a Firenze e Parma. Bravissimo. Firenze, bellissimo. Sì, sì. Stupendo posto. Okay. Okay. So, uh, cambiano, uh, inglese. Let's switch let's switch to English. Yep, yeah, sure. Let's switch That's, that's about, that's about as, as far as I could get. <laughs> so, I'm super excited for, I'm excited for this conversation. And I think it's going to take us all over the place and to a little bit of sort of terra incognita for, for Pathfinder. I'm excited to talk, to talk about drones, but, Top of the show, would love for you to give the audience uh, a quick intro of your educational and professional background and experience leading up to skypersonic sure no i
1: I'm Italian as you can see, my English is good uh, with a, a strong Italian accent which is which is something that i'm I am proud of I would say um but I, am uh, a US person. I live here. I'm a US citizen and I live in the United States from about 11 years. Okay. I came here for my job, uh, before Skypersonic, I was, uh, um, CEO of an engineering company, pretty mid-sized about a thousand of employees, uh, working for aerospace and automotive, uh, I am a mechanical engineer. I studied astromatic and engineering in Rome. And I, I work pretty much most of my experience in aerospace. I teach at the Wayne State University and Lawrence tech university here in Michigan, aerospace propulsion, space system, engineering, and artificial intelligence dedicated to
0: drones and aerospace. So my background is a full technical background. Awesome. Great. I think that's a really helpful starting point. When did you start? Getting interested in space. Does that go back all the way to, you know, your formal education and training? Yes. I believe as uh, many of
1: us or many of people that are interested in space, my patients started when I was a kid, mm-hmm. five, six, seven years old. You know, I grew up with the Star Trek, Star Wars and all this stuff, uh, uh, and dreaming when I was a kid, uh, about my future, the space, the future of the humanity, you know, other people, other culture, uh, and so forth. So I grew up, and I still have the same passion. Even though I, I'm a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get to, to the space from the beginning, mm-hmm. from really the, to the beginning. Uh, and now I am, um, I, I'm happy. I'm uh, proud to be
0: part of some uh, important projects of NASA and and, and my company too. If you had to pick one between Star Wars and Star Trek, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Which one would you choose? Definitely Star Trek. Okay.
1: Okay. Star Trek. I'm a Star Trek guy. I, I know all the, the seasons and all the kind of movement. Uh, are you a fan of Star Trek
0: too or not? Yeah, I am, but I'm gonna out myself here. I'm probably more of a fan of Star, Star Wars. I just grew up on it and yeah, I don't know. I, I. Don't yeah. for for being the managing editor of a, a space media startup, I definitely should be more well read up or more well watched. I don't know how you would say that, but for on Star Trek. So, oopsie, just <laughs> just out of my, just out of <laughs> myself here. But so you worked for Tales Alenia. Uh, I think I'm probably mispronouncing that. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were doing there? And I also want to open the aperture a bit and just hear your perspective and your take on the Italian space sector and how that's developed in recent years or maybe over the last decade. Okay. Thank you for this question. I, I joined,
1: uh, Thales Alenia space in 1999. Okay. Thales. Thales or Thales, the depends. If, if you pronounce it a French way or the Italian way, you know, there is a little battle between French and Italy. So sometimes we, we, we fight for the wine we fight for the, for everything. Also maybe for the name, but good, uh, we're still good friends. So, uh, Thales or Thales Alenia, it's uh, the main industry in Italy that produce space, equipment that works in the space. I joined them in 1999 when I. And I was a thermofluid dynamics uh, engineer. I worked a lot on the International Space Station for the fire suppression system, for the air conditioning system, for the uh, as a computational flight dynamics engineer. And then I moved on a special studies to work on scientific satellites, and scientific mission. Uh, I used to work in a very cool project like uh, LISA, which is a live interferometer space antenna. It's a great project still going on to be launched from NASA, and uh, this project is going to capture uh, gravitational waves by using three satellites at sixty millions distance between each other in a in a triangle uh, and they have to be able to capture the, the 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 relative distance of about one nanometer over sixty millions of kilometers. That is the kind of amplitude of a of a, um, gravitational wave you can capture. Mm-hmm. I worked also on, on Gaia. Gaia is a, is a satellite, uh, for a search of extra terrestrial life and other stars. This satellite was, was launched a uh, few years ago and now this satellite is working. I was in charge of the main telescope on board, the development and the, and, and the, uh, and some studies to demonstrate the validation. This telescope is uh, 76 meters of uh, focal length, and is able to, to understand some uh, potential um, extraterrestrial planets uh, by using the parallax methodology with two telescopes on board that will, will calculate the distance, the difference between uh, the same view from the two perspective, the two telescopes, let's say. And I used to work on the control system of that system I worked also for thrusters, micro thruster systems to to the micro propulsion propulsions to to keep the satellites super stable. You can imagine when you look to the sky, you want to have the satellites super mm-hmm. stable without any disturbance. even the solar flare can disturb the satellites. so I, I used to work on many projects. also another cool project I worked on was the reentry system. A kind of intelligent rain system, you know, in the corridor, uh, I from a computational um, fluid dynamics point of view, and hydrothermal flux. So mm, I had the chance to work in many projects, and which is a blessing for me because
0: uh, I grew up on there. Yeah, yeah, you've been all over the ecosystem, and Talasalnia is a it's a joint venture between. Thales and Leonardo, I should, I should know this, is that, do I have that right?
1: Yeah, more or less, the, 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 a quick, be, uh, a quick story of, uh, Thales Alenia before it was the, the part of the national, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, IRE group, which is a, a government uh, industry in aerospace at the beginning when I joined them. Aeronautical part and a space part were the same company, separated in aeronautic division and space okay. division. I was working for the space division. Then, after that, the two companies separated. Leonardo now, Leonardo itself is more aeronautical defense, and Thales Salenia, which is a partnership with Leonardo, also is with Thales, as you can imagine, um, the ownership on board. Thales Salenia uh, is maybe n- not everybody knows. Italy, Italian industry built up almost 40% of international space station. We did the Null, uh, NOT three, not two, cupola, ATV, some many spaces, M- MPLM, multi-purpose logistic modules on the space station, uh, uh automatic transfer vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did many, many things on the space station. Uh, so Thalesa Lenia, is a great experience in the integration and development of a space component for human
0: uh, and for money. Um, yeah, that is a very fun fact, actually. I do want to switch gears to Skypersonic and the work you're doing there. And eventually, of course, we'll touch on the exciting test that you recently completed. Let's start really simple. How did you come up with the name? What's the story behind the name Skypersonic?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, and, uh, thanks for this question, because uh, when you think about the Skypersonic and think about drones, you don't see a, a connection or relationship, why Skypersonic and, and drones. Uh, and, and this is a very final reason. When I, uh, when I founded the company in 2013, uh, I quit for my previous job. I was considering boring I, I, I don't want to say offend find anybody doing my job, but as a CEO of an engineering company, uh, doing engineering for many other company, I would like to get in more on a space. I don't my patience. Say if I have to found a company to create a company, better yeah. to do on what I love mm-hmm. instead to do on what I don't love, right? And I was loving the aerospace, so I had the idea. And at the very beginning, the company was founded with another friend which was, uh, a mission manager of SpaceX, uh, another Italian guy, Marco Villa. Uh, and, and we decided why we don't do something really, uh, extremely interesting but at the same time challenging from a space point of view. So why we don't do a transoceanic commercial suborbital flight. So I want to go to take a coffee in mm-hmm. Rome and be back the same day. So. Let's do a a, a hypersonic flight on the sky. So sky hypersonic. So that is the the reason, the the, the beginning of the sky So they was working on the uh, suborbital uh, ah. transcontinental flight, and then uh, that was the the starting point. Uh, we started to work on that, uh, but I realized that uh, maybe the the subject was too complex for us. And I saw uh, my little son at that time that was playing with a ball, and I think I can put a drone inside the ball. I can roll and fly, and so I got with the idea with the sky skycopter. That was in two thousand fourteen.
0: As I like to say in the startup world, you pivoted from supersonic suborbital flight to drones and, and uh, intelligent autonomous drone software, that sort of yes. thing. So after that pivot, what problem specifically when within the drone world, and I assume the, the then nascent drone world, what problem were you setting out to accomplish? Yes, I think, uh, the most important, we want to
1: distinguish ourselves to make a differentiation and the differentiation was the flying inside. So from the beginning, as you see in my logo, there is uh, the, the cage around the we, we, we told instead to fly outside, let's fly where we, uh, we don't want to have any person going there. Any people have to go to make an inspection because the environment could be very dangerous or, or complex. So we invented this idea to have a, a full caged drone able to fly indoor. Uh, and when I'm, when, when I say indoor, I don't mean just uh, generally indoor. <clears throat> Uh, in the sewage, in the nuclear plant, in areas that are really difficult to reach. So the biggest challenge we have to, we face it from the beginning, how to keep the transmission and the connection with the drone without any problem. Even the drone is 150 meters mm-hmm. underground or how we can navigate the drone without any GPS, how we can, use, how we can manage the camera with such a smaller illumination to emphasize the effects of the system. So we worked on that and thanks to our customers, they supported us to solve all these problems and the issues. And so now the problem, the project, the, the, the product or Skycopter, was from the beginning, designed
0: to fly indoor, inside. And this gets into part of your tagline and a perennial problem, I guess I would say with drones and other. Connected devices, mobility devices Bad. that rely on navigation or typically needed to rely on navigation, GPS denied. Can you explain what that means and maybe how it relates to indoor flight and then other situations where the GPS signals might be intentionally getting blocked or jammed? Right.
1: Uh, yes. So uh, I think, first of all, let's say a postulate. All the, the commercial drones we use outside, 99 percent they rely on GPS, because it's the only way to have this kind of easy way to fly drones. From the DJI to any other, they have a GPS system on board, so once they lock in the GPS, obviously they have other systems. they have a accelerometer, uh, IMU, barrels and other things. obviously not only that sensor cameras, optical flow sensors, so forth. But the, the most important, I would say outdoor is the GPS, because if you lose the connection, GPS will bring the drone back to the home or can uh, keep flying. can have orbiting and you can set waypoints and do everything. Uh, so when we say the drone is autonomous, because uh, a good portion of this autonomy comes from the GPS is the GPS for us, GPS denied means there is no GPS signal. Or the GPS signal is so degraded that you don't have any way to relay on that. So you have to use other systems to keep a a sort of easy way to pilot the drone. And obviously you can use uh, time of flight sensors, optical flow sensor, SLAM technology on the cameras, uh, artificial intelligence, many of these, but even these systems in uh, in our scenarios. Uh, they lack a little bit, because let's say there is no illumination and after dust, uh, magnetic interference, uh, so you cannot use the compass. You cannot use, uh, uh, because of so many metals. So at the end of the day, we discovered that we gotta have also a good portion of work from the pilot. So the pilot is important for our job in the GPS denial. So I, I, don't mean that the drone is uh, full manual. There is many systems that support the drone to be a little bit uh, uh, stable in a very complex scenario, in a pipe. But having the cage, you can bump around. They can keep the drone safe. But you still need a pilot from the other side.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. So, so very much still a, a human in the loop with this type of product. How do you? maintain the mm. connectivity though? Is it cellular networks? Is it wifi? Like, what are you using? Cause I know that part of the uniqueness of, of your stack or your solution is that people, these remote pilots can fly from, you know, a thousand, two thousand miles away across the world. So obviously they need some sort of like proverbial fat pipe to connect to the drone.
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, and this is gonna become something that hopefully I can explain in a simple way, even if it's super complex. Uh, first of all, there is a connection between the drone and let's call it the ground station because as you can imagine inside a pipe, uh, under 100 meters underground, there is no internet, no GPS, no satellite links. There is nothing there. The only uh, link you can provide to the drone you have to provide from your ground station. And then we have a, a stable link between the drone and the ground station. What we call ground station. Uh, that link is, uh, a radio frequency link to the um, frequency, the lowest frequency possible to penetrate the wall. Uh, we go obviously in a frequency can transmit video and telemetry and the controls, uh, in a way we already established from, from years then from the ground station. Uh, you may have the pilot not locally there, but uh, located elsewhere. So the best way to connect the ground station to the pilot is internet or cellular phone. So uh, when uh, the pandemic uh, happened, we had that problem. We had customers around the world, uh, in the Middle East uh, or in other places, and and they need to send pilot there to perform the inspection or to support the training. And we couldn't uh, because pandemic so, and, uh, to avoid to die because the yeah. revenue was lowering, was going really low <laughs> thanks to this, uh, uh, we needed to invent a system that could support the inspection or whatever from anywhere. The main problem of this is the latency because we're talking together, me and you in this moment, uh, and I believe we have a latency about the uh, 300, 400, uh, a millisecond, I believe, uh, in this moment, so many more that will be totally fine for us. Human brain is able to, to, to cover that gap in somehow. But when you come to fly, to pilot a drone, you need to be really in real time to have a, 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 a data file. So we needed to invent a software platform, able to lower down the latency, the lag at the lowest possible. And so the latency we achieved now is about uh, I would say, uh, transatlantically or transoceanic, uh, connection about 100 milliseconds, less than 100 millisecond in the same continent, about 50, 40 millisecond, which is really low, really low. When you have a latency in less than 50 millisecond, it's like a real time, uh, part, a portion of this latency is by the infrastructure. I would say by the physics because every 100, uh, kilometers uh, or 300 kilometers lights needs one millisecond to cover because the speed of lights is limited. So we start from a point that uh, just for infrastructure, if you have a flight between, uh, one place in the United States and one place in Europe, which is average 5,000, 7,000 kilometers. You have already 20, 30 milliseconds by the infrastructure. You cannot go low lower than that. The rest, it's what we do with our systems. So uh, uh, I'm very proud about the work my team and, and Skepperson did because we were able to lower the latency to this very small number, considering that we are flying through a generic internet connection, sometimes with LTE cellular 4G.
0: Yeah, this is really fascinating. I want to continue on the technology, but we are going to take a very quick break. Time for a short break to hear about our sponsors again. Space is the new frontier for cybersecurity. Spyro Mission Systems builds space cybersecurity solutions for civilian, military, and commercial space operations. Their orbit secure protocol delivers zero trust security to zero gravity environments protecting space communication, command, control, data transmission, storage, and integrity at the data level. To learn more about how Zero Trust architectures will revolutionize security in new space, download the new NSR SpiderOak-sponsored white paper titled Space Cybersecurity, Current State and Future Needs. You can find that white paper at spacecyber.com, and that's spacecyber.com, easy link to remember. Or check out their website at spideroak-ms.com and tell them Pathfinder sent you. So- On the topic, continuing on the topic of technology, I think it's interesting. It's kind of ironic for the purposes of this discussion, because, you know, GPS sports, a lot of drones, but not yours when evaluating the technology stack that comprises Skypersonics drones, are there any other sorts of technologies that were initially developed for space? Uh, at some point, you know, over the last 20 to 30 years that have either reached, you know, reached the point of affordability that they can be integrated into an industrial drone or have reached economies of scale in like other industries. Uh, and the reason I ask is because NASA talks a lot about spillovers and like commercialization opportunities of technologies that a long time ago were initially developed for space.
1: So uh, this is a very crucial question and I believe uh, we have to put on the discussion, uh, another term space economy. So in other sense, uh, the, the, the people thinks that the, the space exploration, uh, space technology, yes, there is some spin off, some uh, connection to the real world, mm-hmm. but in the reality, maybe uh, we don't have to spend all this money for this exploration. And uh, at this point, I would yeah. like to say there are two, two elements that, uh, demonstrate completely the opposite. The first one is the, the, the level of uh, the access to the higher education studies. When uh, we are in a, in a phase as a worldwide going towards uh, our limit over the sky. Uh, there are studies that demonstrated that uh, during the sixties, with uh, the Apollo missions and NASA going to the moon, uh, we have a boom of, uh, of people who are studying a PhD engineering this physics and so forth, because they were, uh, were appassionated. They were inspired by this. So this is a very important piece. If we feel every day on our newspaper discussion about wars, uh, problems, uh, difficulties, the people get depressed and they don't believe they can mm-hmm. go over. If you see that we're trying to, uh, go over our limits as a human being and try to uh, colonize another par- planet or to discover there is life uh, from other place and not only on the earth, that's gonna create uh, this inspirational thoughts of the people that they're gonna grow. That's number one. Which is mo might be the most important we are here and we are not with the, uh, uh, with the stones writing on the stone because we have this inspirational things, everybody. The second element is technology wise. Mm-hmm. People don't think how much from the space development, the technology we are using in our technology, in our things. Sometimes the people are small things uh, like some material stuff some things, uh, but not uh, uh, let's start from the main one, GNSS, which is the connection between all the GPS system, US uh, and uh, other other yeah. governments. Thanks to that, all of us, our life is different, right? Because all the, the geolocalization for many things, uh, logistics uh, and and so on, is a main important things. Uh, technology related to the observation of the hurt, the geol- like weather and so forth, this is something that is in our, uh, hands in this moment, the internet connection uh, it, it, it is booming. The satellite, the, um, large bandwidth connection, like Starlink from SpaceX, just to, to, to say one, um, so the low orbit satellites about 300 kilometers of, uh, of altitude, they can create a, a, a more stable connection than 5G, I would say. So I will yeah. see in the future a mm-hmm. uh, reduction of uh, investment of infrastructure and in, increasing of uh, investment in satellites uh, technology. It's true, robotic right. things. You have to go to Mars. You gotta have autonomous systems that can uh, manage by themselves. This Mars hurt uh, uh, is a link between eight between eight and twenty minutes of latency. There is no way to do any real time yeah. stuff there. So you gotta have better having uh, an autonomous system. So the, the pyrotechnic system, uh, the thruster system, the, um, the, the SLAM technology have the rules on, 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 on this. I would go even earlier. I was uh, able and so fortunate to, to stay with a person, um, that was one of the, of the Apollo mission, uh, project manager. And it was one of the founder of MathWorks. And he told me MATLAB started on the lunar, lunar module because we need to create something for the astronauts to have a scientific coding, but not, uh, could not be a, a guide, a graphic unit interfaces. So it have to be something with not really a Fortran or C++ development, but more, more sophisticated from a mathematics point of view. They can calculate quaternion matrix and stuff like that. So that was the the beginning of, of 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 this so I do believe that maybe sixty percent of our technology comes from the space
0: yeah yeah that's it's fascinating i you know we harp on that a little bit at payload, just the notion that people tend to draw associations between like human space flight or like the sexiest or just like most attention grabbing aspects of the space economy, even if they're, you know, still pretty nascent, and small and, and folks outside of sort of the space, what I'll say in group, don't make the connections between, you know, connectivity, broadband, remote sensing, earth observation, navigation, et cetera, et cetera. So in keeping with this conversation going kind of on either side of the Carmen line. We, we talked about how these technologies, you know, how there's the downstream effects, (coughs) excuse me, for us on earth, but I want to switch over now to talk about how your drone technology could be useful for space. And why don't we start with the, the test, the recent test at Mount Etna. Can you walk us through what that was? And what you were hoping to achieve, and if you achieved it. Yes, the test was pretty important because uh, uh, we
1: we we achieved this important contract with NASA to support them in uh, analog missions on Mars, uh, which is right the testing all the technology for a future manned mission on Mars, uh, uh, supporting the astronauts in you know. M- Playing with these new technologies, one of these is a drone technology because we can fly on Mars, we can fly on many other planets that have a little bit of atmospheres, like Titan and so forth. There is other missions from NASA like Dragonfly and so forth about uh, drones on different places. So, uh, to achieve this capability, uh, NASA uh, asked us to provide uh, them hardware and software, in particular for remote piloting in real time because it doesn't need GPS and whatever, um, to, to, to give to the astronauts, to the crew, uh, a, a tool to fly and to test drone, even they will be confined in Houston space center and they can fly everywhere in the world in location. There yeah. are similar to Mars like Montetna, because Montetna over a certain altitude, I would say over 9,000 feet, there is no vegetation. Everything is a lava based, uh, so there is lava tubes There are, there are, there are, you know, areas that you don't see anything around, just uh, yeah. a kind of Martian morphology life, uh, mm-hmm. scenarios. So, <clears throat> but testing over there, uh, was important to, first of all, establish that the internet connection was sufficient to let the. People on Houston or United States piloting the drones and, and the rover. Secondly, power side, uh, field uh, testing technology, and so forth. So, we were able to demonstrate and, and validate that our technology can work anywhere, really anywhere in the world, even in the most uh, uh, difficult scenarios like in,
0: inhospitable.
1: Yes, inhospitable place. Yeah, the most in house. Exactly internet was the most important. So we were able to use uh, different technology. We tested different uh, provider of internet, um, bridge it to a place uh, rather than satellite connection, we discovered the satellites is the best we can use satellite connection to low orbit
0: satellites, internet connection. That works perfectly. Oh, interesting. Can you say what Leo constellation you were using? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Starlink. Okay, add, add that to add that, add that as another use case for, for Starlink piloting, piloting drones around volcanoes. That's fascinating. So on Mars in practice, what would this look like? Would you need, you know, would you need like a local internet network on Mars? And then I assume, you know, in a future crewed mission that the astronauts on the red planet would be piloting this, like not, not. Johnson space center here in Houston. I'm actually in Houston right now. So Johnson's across town, but so how would that, what would that look like? Yes, sure. Not from, uh, from here on Mars, uh,
1: that would be awesome. If we do that, we, we will discover a new way to pass through the time, right. And go over the speed of lights, which is not yeah. possible physically <laughs> for now, uh, uh, but, uh, from Mars to Mars, from habitat habitat on Mars, they could cover all the surface flying and acting, piloting, even rovers from there. The technology, I would say it, it's simpler than technology here, yeah. because here the technology is crowded, uh, you there, you can just obviously have a, have a bridge with satellites or with, with other way. To, to manage that, uh, I don't believe that transmitting con- controls, yeah. and comment and video—it's yeah. a problem. There, it's already technology is already there. The biggest, the biggest issue is the aerodynamics wow. for the drones. In this moment, there is we demonstrated NASA demonstrated that uh, completely completed the, all the missions, uh, uh, and it was a very, um, a very uh, uh, important achievement for us able to demonstrate that drones can fly in another atmosphere, in another place, in another planet. But that means from a technical point of view, it's a big difficulty because you have to fly where there is the uh, very thin atmosphere. I don't know in Mars, you have uh, the same atmosphere in terms of density that you have uh, on Mm -hmm. 30 kilometers of altitude on the earth. 1% One percent more or less of atmosphere. so how to fly over there? Yes, it's possible as long as you can spin the propellers more. so the motors have to speed uh, spe- uh, sp- uh, they have to uh, rotate faster. Uh, uh, obviously the air or the atmosphere is less dense, so you have less drag, which helps from the kV of the motors. Uh, so, the number of the speed that can the motors can do per each bolt provided to the model. Uh, and we are actually working on a, on a stratocopter, which means a, a drone can fly over 30 kilometers of, of altitude. Uh, we are in a good direction. We did a preliminary feasibility. We were able to fly over, demonstrate fly over 12 kilometers of altitude with a commercial drone, not a very sophisticated drone. That's another important thing. So we don't have to have a super complex technology in this moment on Mars. Uh, ingenuity is very complex because they created a, such a very complex propeller, uh, with a carbon and with a kind of a sponge inside of carbon to make sure they're, uh, robust enough, elastic enough to resist to that. Um, uh, we, we believe that we could use commercial material to fly on Mars.
0: Yeah, off the shelf, off the shelf off more. to some extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To some extent
1: we are doing that. We demonstrated we can do theoretically, we demonstrated we can do on, we can do because our test, uh, let's say is demonstrating this feasible. This is our next achievement. Be able to, to fly uh, over, mm-hmm. you know, over a certain altitude and we can achieve two return uh, returns one is flying on Mars on other planets. So our technology is not yet, um, yeah. not that reached that level, but we, I believe we can. And the second, we can use drones on uh, a certain altitude to, to supply low orbit, satellites, uh, ah, interesting. uh, and it would be cheaper, super cheap instead to have low satellites uh, Uh, to cover that kind of applications, we could use drones on that.
0: What would the propulsion be for these systems on Mars and would there be any way to refuel them or? No, that's a very good
1: question. I know the propulsion is still considered the electrical propulsion, which is the, 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 simplest in this moment, uh, and that will help, will help because you can recharge the battery, um, over the day. The problem that we have there, the electrical problem is that you, you have a very low temperature overnight. You got to keep the battery warm and having this, this heat to give to the battery, you are spending a lot of energy of the battery itself. So that's why, uh, ingenuity can fly over 90 seconds every day, because you need all the rest of the time to charge the battery. So we have to come to some solutions that we cannot, it's not uh, uh, unmeetable to have ninety second fly every day. We should go like a few hours, uh, and then, uh, uh maybe thinking about a different kind of, uh, combined propulsion or, uh, flying in a kind of, uh, gliding system over Mars, which is super difficult because the, the air is so thin, um, but they have to, we have to find a solution, a technology solution. In this moment, there is no clear technology solution, uh, to, uh, to increase the, the flight time.
0: Yeah. I mean, flying drones on Mars could be the subject of its own hour long conversation easily, but I do wanna keep us moving here. And so my last question I suppose would be, are you, you know, ingenuity has been this remarkable success story and it's been awesome to, to cheer the helicopter on from earth. Are you just closely watching everything that Ingenuity does and diligently like taking notes and everything? And are you like even working with the JPL or, or any, or are you in contact with any of the, you know, program manager engineers who are working on the Ingenuity program?
1: Our contract is basic to another uh, department, which is manned uh, man admission that we, and so we are, we don't have any formal connection right now. Even I'm studying what they're doing because their uh, NASA is super friendly, they release all the videos, all the stuff so you can study that. so and my next step to 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 try okay. to figure out how we can do a synergy with them. and with other teams, they are working now it's not only NASA working on that ideas, there are many other teams around the world that are working on on this technology
0: over different planets. So moving on, gotta put my analyst. Hat on, and also I, I yeah, I should mention I am I'm an amateur drone pilot and photographer myself. I have the FA Part One Hundred Seven license, so I'm pretty familiar. I'd like to think with this space, but your parent company, Red Cat Holdings, can you tell me a little bit about that? I think, and there are parallels here to the space world too. You know, I've seen in recent years, everyone's seen the industry. There's a lot of you know, sort of deep tech holding companies that are starting to arise. And, and this sounds like, sounds like there's some parallels here with, with your parent company, but walk us through the decision to sell to, to red cat and, and also walk us through, you know, where you sit within the wider portfolio of capabilities that the company has.
1: Yes. We, we joined red cat a couple of years ago because the, the project, the dream they had uh, Jeff, which is the CEO, uh, provided me a, a very interesting picture said instead to be separated, we mm-hmm. can connect all our capabilities and, uh, our talents in different, uh, shen- uh, in different aspects of the drones world. And then we can mm-hmm. be united. We can do, we can make the difference. This is the, the, the situation the red card works in different areas. Works in the military area with the TILS drone, we provide uh, a super uh, elaborated, uh, uh, I would say, intelligent uh, small uh, drones. It's called Golden Eagle, and, and already we have agreement with uh, with the DOD and with uh, with the uh, defense uh, around the world. I would say to provide these in a in a huge numbers uh, to all the people. This is a very cool stuff. Then we have Skypersonic that provide drones for. For industrial inspections and obviously software for piloting uh, from anywhere to anywhere in the world, then we have uh, Fetcher, which is a, a a super famous company able to provide goggles and systems for uh, drones, I would say nerds and then <laughs> freestyle stuff uh, and not only to that, I discovered that when I went to the monteta the, the there was there another. And the space project from dlr the the german space uh, um agency, and they were testing some drones for lunar application and the uh, rovers for lunar application, not drones, just rovers. They were using drones Understand. also, and they were using uh, fat sharp technology, so our technology and then we have also educational um and uh, you know companies, a reseller company like Rodeai, which is pilots, super smart pilots they are pushing to the limits, the drones are doing things that uh, it's yeah. really something very complex to do. Um, so this is a comprehensive, uh, team, uh, with many areas and we are thinking to enlarge ourselves to cover,
0: uh, to cover the most we can from all the drones work. Yeah. So I should also mention that red cat is publicly traded, you IPO, I'm, I'm not sure when, but they're in keeping with the theme that I just mentioned, you know, there being similarities with the drone and space world. And I would say in addition
1: to that, that, um, Redcut, uh, um, is now a public company, so, uh, is in NASDAQ, which means that, uh, we are able to uh, provide uh, the the need the, the financial needs to support all these technologies, and yeah. uh, which is important for us uh, and for this world. Uh, besides that, we're still organized in companies uh, together, growing in a sort of uh, uh, of uh, organization that uh, can handle everything. Uh, and all this, the, the, the structure that are in common where we're joining together. And, but the specialities
0: of each company is still, is still there. Okay. We are back after a brief technical snag on a technical hiccup on my end, but I caught the end of the last answer. And then I think I cut out when I wanted to ask my next question, but the question was there are a lot of space companies that have been public that went through public through a different financial vehicle, the SPAC, and you know a lot of these. It's been a bumpy ride. So a lot of these founders, startup founders, turned public company CEOs find themselves you know in a somewhat difficult position, and in a lot of cases, the the path to, to profitability is still very long. So, was curious to get your thoughts, you know, at, on the leadership team of a more mature business. And still very much deep tech business if you had any advice for them for management at these companies in terms of toughing it out in the public markets
1: i I think that since i i, I had this experience right I started the company uh there were a company that the uh, focus on the technology that is emerging is growing uh, drones technology is not yet major at all in my opinion, so we have to To start from there, we think the drones technology is mature enough to be, and that is the reason why this market didn't pick up very well. So all of us see this case, this number of the market, the total available market is huge in in everywhere. But at the end of the day, we're still seeing uh, uh, not big results, and the profitability is still difficult. Why? Because the, the the drones technology is not mature, not mature to a level that we could. Could be considered a standard. Besides the the, the toys the, or the drone that can do aerophotogrammetry, which is pretty mature already. So that is already covered. I suggest to all the, the people that, that are starting to work on this technology or they have a dream on this technology to be prepared, uh, be a, a, an entrepreneur on this world. When you work in something that the people uh, don't know, even in school stuff, uh, you got to educate your market. You got to educate the people and you have to spend a lot of energy. Uh, who is going to cover this energy is not uh, technically only the money. Yes. I know well, if you have the capital, you can do that. It's not only that, that is imp- super important. It's important, how much energy you have inside to keep going through this path, even when you see there is a lot of failures in front of you. And, and I'm, when I uh, say failures, I don't mean only tech technical failure could be also business side failures. So you're thinking that that customer is going to buy and then the customer changed mind because it's too skeptical or thinks that I can still use my old way to do this. So you have to be prepared as a, as a uh, founder investor, your return of investment would be the, the patient, the energy. And then knowing that you are creating something new for the for the world, I would say for the worldwide. But it is super important too. Uh, I remember a phrase from uh, I think Elon Musk. They Do doing uh, uh, entrepreneurship means uh, <laughs> chewing glass, looking up yeah. to the abyss. That means so you are chewing glass and you look on the black hole in front of you, and you still have to go forward. If you believe you can resist on that, go for.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Words of wisdom. So to close us out here, I have some more rapid fire questions. And the first is actually not something that I came prepared with, but you had mentioned working in a past life on a program, you know, searching for extraterrestrial life. So I'd like to pose the age question to you. Do you think, are we alone? No at all. Uh, and I, I, it's not just
1: only a thinking it's a reality because uh, recently a Japanese, um, um probe discovered the, uh, uh, the presence of amino acid uh, uh, on, mm-hmm. on, a, on a meter, which means that, uh, the, the, the basic element of the protein were are present besides uh, the Obviously we can answer to the, to the answer that the contact. Uh, movie said, right? That uh, is a, is a waste of space. If we are just us, uh, we cannot be so aggressive and so, um, uh, um, so rude to think we are alone. It is not possible. That. it's not possible at all. That is the distance that, it, yeah. I believe I would like to add another small elements besides that. When I get to the space, the first time I was hired by Thalesa Lena space, I was super excited. Uh, I was 28 years old and then, uh, and after a year I was super, uh, deluded by this because I discovered how big is the gap, technological gap we have yeah. to, to travel in the space. Uh, that's the problem, it's not the presence of life elsewhere. But we are, uh, it's impossible to reach that unless we don't find a way to go over the space time in this moment, there is no technology at all to can put us in, even in contact because the radio frequency transmission takes thousands of years to reach maybe the closest, the closest part where there is another civilized um, planet. So that's the problem, not the life, but the technology.
0: Yeah. It seems like at a few points in this conversation, we've talked about kind of brushing up with the laws or boundaries of physics. Second question is if, what's your hottest take or more, most contrarian view on the future of space? We are living,
1: a, and again, a revival of the space because, you know, this, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm feeling that. The, the same moment in the past like this was uh, at the beginning of the uh, Apollo program in the sixties because uh I think you know the twenty eight is scheduled the launch of s l s the first again moon mission from nasa where uh, we have the, the we will have uh human on on the moon the twenty fifth to twenty sixth mm-hmm. of, of this decade right and then we are yeah. gonna have people maybe on Mars. So the exploration is taking a revival, so I believe the space is gonna grow, um, which is a great, great news. So it's a good news for the people, the new, the new age, or the new, you know, uh, the, the the younger generation. They and then when I was young, I didn't have uh, Google, internet, and so that uh, amazing technology available, and cheap. Now you have a lot of technology available and super cheap. Uh, compared to the past. So there is, there is no excuse for the people that want to get to the space to start and try out that
0: last question, a little bit out of left field and maybe even a bit selfish, but I want to ask you as an Italian, what's the best under the radar off the beaten path town or city in your opinion to visit in Italy? For visiting uh, from, you know, visiting, there are so many that is difficult to know.
1: You can go to Rome beside me. There is a a stamp of uh, Piazza Navona. Rome is one of the greatest Venice, uh, Florence. (laughs) Uh, From technological point of view, I would say that uh, a good uh, comparison between the two is uh, artistic point of view, historical and technology point of view is Torino. Torino is a great town was a kingdom. uh, was the king was there. So, so you have a lot of historical, uh, residencies. Uh, you can visit at the same time. There is a, a, a nice business cultures on the space, on the railway and the automotive side is the house of Fiat that, that town. So I would suggest for anybody want to visit Italy to start from Torino and then go from there southwards or, or, or side on the West side too. Benissimo. Giuseppe, grazie mille. Grazie a te, Ryan. It was fun. Thank you very much. I hope it was uh, interesting. My thoughts and our things uh, for the people that can see that. And I thank you very much again for this opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating conversation and plenty more, but for now that's a wrap. Part one. That's a wrap. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, I wanna last thing to say on the 7th of uh, September. We're going to have uh, one important aerospace meeting in Detroit uh, would be the presence of an astronaut, Roberto Vittori, which we he participated for mission on the space station and uh, also the former uh, head of the outer space of a uh, United Nation, Simonetta People. Uh, we have a panel there and whoever would like to be interested to see that, I can um, provide the, the link will be streamed and will be also present in Metaverse. So
0: the people can connect on the metaverse. Amazing. Amazing. Well, well, uh, yeah, definitely follow up with the, the link and we'll, we'll include that when we publish the episode. Okay. Great. Thank you very much, Ryan. Allora, that will do it for Pathfinder 0013. Thank you to Giuseppe for coming on and going pretty rapid fire across the Carmen line a bunch of times with us. Pathfinder is powered by Payload, modern space media brand. And while we have designs on Kobe, 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 designs on becoming the largest space content company in the galaxy. For now, we publish an industry-leading newsletter, this podcast, and a few other weekly and monthly newsletters. Shout out uh Parallax, eyeball, eyeball emoji. But stay tuned for more on that uh soon. Anyways, if you like what you heard, subscribe wherever you are watching or listening to this and leave us a five-star rating. If you're so inclined, it really helps. And as always, you can reach out to me directly at Ryan at payloadspace.com with feedback, constructive criticism, uh, amateur drone photos. I'd love to see any, any of y'all's amateur drone photos or, or if you just want to say hi, but I will shut up and that'll do it for this week. I'm Ryan Duffy signing off and I'll see you back here next week.